You're listening to the DB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hey, it is getting to be that time of year, and today we're going to be talking all about gardening. We've got a gardening and seed expert on the line for us today. So we've got a great information. And if you're coming over from the radio show for the bonus material we have on the podcast, we have got a lot of bonus material here for you. So I hope you enjoy it. And right after this quick word from our sponsor, we're going to jump into that interview. During calving season, your livestock operation really comes alive. On your ranch, be born ready with Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment, available at D&B Supply. For almost 80 years, Powder River has stood out as leaders in the livestock handling field with continuous equipment innovation to help ranchers work up close with their livestock safely and with minimal stress. When it's close to calving season, be prepared and check out the Powder River Homesteader Calving Deluxe Pin at D&B. An excellent multi-purpose health pin, this safe enclosure is optimally designed for calving and doctoring with a sweep gate, a bow gate, and a self-catching head gate to open up incredible access and control for calving assistance. To bring your calves into the world, then bring them upright. Stop on by select D&B Supply Stores for Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment. The choice is There's a price you pay to get away, to live outside the bounds. When you love your dogs and cats like members of the family, you feed them like family too. Dish out the best nutrition for your furry little friends with Blue Pet Food, available at D&B Supply. Made with high-quality natural ingredients, plus life source bits with active nutrients and antioxidants, Blue starts every dog and cat food recipe with real meat then adds in garden vegetables and antioxidant-rich fruit. Blue Pet Food does not contain artificial flavors, colors, or preservatives. Plus, there's never any corn, wheat, or soy, and no chicken or poultry byproduct meals. All this care goes into every pet food bag, so your cats and dogs live happy, healthy lives. For every four-legged member of your family, stop on by D&B Supply for Blue Pet Food. The choice is D&B. Joining us now is Joe Hartman, gardening and seed expert for the customer service department at Mountain Valley Seed in Salt Lake City, who is a supplier for DNB Supply. Joe, welcome to the show and thank you so much for coming on. Hi, thanks a lot for having me. Well, you are more than welcome and we are very appreciative of your time coming on to talk seeds and gardening with all of our listeners. So, I guess what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is just kind of have you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about you personally. Okay. Well, I have been in the green industry since 1988. Um, I've done all kinds of different jobs in horticulture, and that includes nursery work and greenhouses and large landscape maintenance, all kinds of things. I've also been an intensive home gardener on a half an acre that I live on in Sugar House, in the Sugar House neighborhood of, of Salt Lake City. And I, for many years, did very extensive gardening and experimenting, as well as cooking and preserving and all the things that go along with that. So I have um, have years there, and I've been in Mountain Valley Seed, um, getting back to helping people grow gardens. Excellent. 
Well, that sounds like quite a resume there. Now, I wanted to ask you, so if you're in the if you're taking the calls at Mountain Valley Seed mm-hmm. and people are calling with questions about seeds and gardening and things like that, what are some of the more common questions you receive this time of year? A lot of the questions are about suitable varieties. And since we deal with people all over the country, one way we deal with that, if they are local, we handle it a little bit differently than we do um, with people who are non-local. For locals, a lot of our seed is recommended by the Utah State University Extension. That's the County Extension Service for Agriculture. We recommend that a lot to people around the country. If they do not know what is suitable varieties for their location, is to contact their county extension service. And every state has a land-grant university that has an extension service that specializes in animals and agriculture, gardening, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And they are the local source for information. Yeah, there's a lot of great expertise housed within our agricultural extensions from our and when yeah. you say when you say land grant universities what we're talking about is uh, back in oh, the late 1800s and and since then there's been a certain amount of land deeded to each state to form a university that will teach agriculture to the people of those states. So that's what you're talking about there. Yes, indeed. Okay, yes. So they provide expertise for people to learn about best practices in their area. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Great, wonderful. Well, I've got a ton of questions for you. Now, we were talking off the air, and you told me that Mountain Valley Seed is going to be supplying organic seed to D&B Supply this year. So let's start there. What makes a seed organic? Organic seed means that it has been produced, the plants grown to produce the seed are grown with organic practices. Then you can go from there and grow organically or however you choose. People who are certified organic, they need to buy organic seeds. Basically, it is a choice. If you support the organic system, you can buy organic seeds. You can buy conventional seed and grow it on naturally or or organic yourself. It's kind of a choice. Okay. And so that that can be a preference or it can be something that's demanded of your business if you're trying to grow vegetables to resell and you're marketing them as organic. Exactly. Okay. Now, there's a lot of terms out there when it comes to seeds, when it comes to vegetables and, and, and wheat and fruit and all these types of things. So I'd like to go through a few of those. And let's start off with one that we hear about quite a bit. When you say open pollinated, what does that mean? That means that they're they're basically they're non-hybrid. They are not crossed as a hybrid. So you can save seed and have it come true to the parent plant. What happens when you cross hybrids, which are actually there's absolutely nothing wrong with hybrids, but they don't come true to seed. So if you save seed from a hybrid plant, you're not necessarily going to have a plant come true to the parent because it was crossed. Okay. So you can have different things come from both parents and show up as anything, basically. This is very interesting, and we're off to a great start. I've got a lot of follow-up questions for you. Let's take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we'll pick right back up where we're leaving off. There's a price you pay to get away. 
live outside the bounds. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hardworking and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. During the Great Depression, the Danner Boot Company was founded on the stubborn belief that, regardless of the economy, superior craftsmanship mattered. Much has changed since the first Danner boot was made, but their dedication to crafting a superior product has not. Hold a Danner boot in your hand and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size. Did you know that a horse's top line plays an important role in how that horse performs, looks, and feels? That's why Neutrina offers top line balance in select horse feeds, available at D&B Supply. While saddle fit, genetics, and exercise are most frequently blamed for a poor top line, nutrition actually plays the most critical role. Neutrina's top line balance fuels the muscles that support the spine from the neck to the hindquarters to improve performance, motion, and drive. Not all feeds are created equal, and not all feeds can improve a horse's top line. It took years of research and field trials to develop this unique approach to equine health. So look for the Top Line Balance logo on select Neutrina horse feeds. For a healthier top line, stop on by D&B Supply for Top Line Balance from Neutrina. Western homes and families, the choice is D&B. All right, Joe, now that we're back, I, I want to clarify a couple things because I, I'm sure we have people listening who understand exactly what you're talking about. But, you know, there's going to be people out there who are not familiar with what we're talking about. Let's let's kind of back up again just a little bit and define what an heirloom seed is. Okay, an heirloom seed is basically an open pollinated seed. In other words, you can save seed from those plants, okay. from your open pollinated heirloom seed. And a lot of people, when they think of heirloom, they think old varieties, and some of that is true. They are, a lot of them are older varieties. Okay. So when you say you can save seed, theoretically, let's say mm-hmm. let's take corn for a second, uh, just because corn produces okay. so much obvious seed on on the cob. So if you were to grow heirloom mm-hmm. corn you could theoretically save seed and save enough to resupply yourself year after year after year. Yes, you can. And But here's an interesting conversation about heirloom corn seed. Um, hybridization of corn has actually allowed us to be able to grow sweet corn. I'm talking about sweet corn for our gardens. Heirloom corn has a lot of problems. They, it gets a lot of diseases, mm-hmm. and so it's actually allowed us to have very good sweet corn. The the hybridization has. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but if you grow if you grow an heirloom corn, mm-hmm. and you know it happens to be that you don't have any problems, yes, you can save the seed. Absolutely. I see. Okay, so starting with the most basic seed, we would call that, and for lack of a better term, I'm calling it basic, but we would call that an heirloom seed. And then if you if mm-hmm. you cross-pollinated two different heirlooms together to make a new seed type, that's what we're referring to as a hybrid? Right. 
or yeah, and it's just something that we've worked with. And hybridization actually occurs in nature. Mm-hmm. It, that is something that is a natural process. We have kind of taken it over in the plant world and especially in agriculture and taken traits from like two different parent plants of like the same kind of pepper, for instance, Mm -hmm. and taken the very best of both of those and put it together as an, as a hybrid seed. Okay. If that makes sense. Absolutely. So once we, and if everybody can think back to their very basic genetics course in high school or whatever that wherever that may have taken place that first cross Mm -hmm. and when we drop that square with the four squares in the middle we've got the dominant and the recessive on one parent plant the dominant and recessive on the other and we cross those and we get four different combinations of those genetics and that's going to create our hybrids i probably should really study my genetics before i start trying to teach it on the radio but there we go i already did it joe Okay, so yeah, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> it's definitely complicated. It's definitely complicated. Okay, so now when we get a hybrid seed that has two different heirloom parent plants, then when we grow that plant, we grow that vegetable, we grow that fruit, whatever it may be, the seeds that we can collect from that, if we choose to, those we are not going to be able to save and replant. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, because you're going to what you're going to get as offspring, say, of those plants can be a number of different things. Okay. And so another term for a hybrid would be non-heirloom. Those those have the same meaning. They're just different terms. Am I understanding that right? Well, basically, yeah. Yeah. I mean, an heirloom, like I said, it's it's kind of a – it can be a confusing – term um heirloom also means to a lot of people old okay when you think about oh family heirlooms oh it's something old it's something that's been in my family and a lot of those they are older varieties the open pollinated okay and then we've taken them from there and hybridized them it's a little bit of a confusing term as well but most of the heirlooms have been around for a long time okay well that makes sense to to me that term conjures up uh, when it comes to seeds, the thought of them being kind of original. Uh, am I misunderstanding that? Exactly. Okay. No, no, that's it's very right. It's when because you know there wasn't always hybridization. Okay. And everyone saved their seed very, because that's what everyone did. Very good. Yeah, there is a, there's a saying out there in the agricultural world about somebody eating their seed corn, and I think that's what it goes back to, right? Mm-hmm. All right, Joe, so I want to ask you about the term and the process and and the need for seed inoculation. Basically, what that means is there are different seeds that need to be inoculated. And need is is kind of an iffy term. It's more benefiting from being inoculated. And a lot of what we think, especially for home gardeners, we think peas and beans. Those are the most common things that people use an inoculant for. And I have always done that. And what it does is it helps them fix nitrogen. And they're basically, it's a kind of bacterium. It can be, it can really boost harvest. Um, And it's, but it's not by any means absolutely necessary. 
a lot of people don't believe in it. I mean, it's it's it can boost your heart rate. It can make a big difference, but in some cases, it may not. So it's kind of a choice thing, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, I've got a follow-up question for you on this. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat, available at D&B Supply. Founded on the belief that riders are athletes, Ariat combines technology and engineering with the goal of making the highest quality footwear and apparel riders will ever put on. Every stitch of Ariat gear is made to last and looks timelessly in style to boot. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B supply. Western homes and families, the choice is D&B. What takes a licking to keep livestock ticking? Vitalix high-quality natural feed supplements for cattle, horses, sheep, and goats found in convenient blue tubs at D&B Supply. Fortified with natural proteins, vegetable oil, vitamins, and highly available minerals, Vitalix proves that all tubs are not created equal. A molasses-based supplement made from the best all-natural ingredients with moisture removed using a unique process, Vitalix is not chemically hardened like lesser products. That means your critters consume Vitalix at about half the rate, giving you and your livestock more bang for the buck. This is the convenient, weatherproof way to ramp up the performance of your animals. Whether you're providing routine nutrition or controlling the impact of stress from competition, weaning, drought, or quality forage, or more, you'll see the healthy changes in your herd with everything from better coats to brighter eyes. Look for the blue Vitalix tubs at D&B Supply. The choice is D&B. All right, Joe, so I want to continue talking about this term inoculation and this is something that I'm not very familiar with but of course it conjures up the image of getting inoculated right of of maybe uh, receiving a, a vaccination or something like that but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about seed inoculation no basically what you're doing is you're rolling like for instance when I plant peas I soak them overnight and then I roll them in an inoculant for peas before I plant them. Okay. And basically what that is doing is that is is bumping up their nitrogen fixing ability. Okay. All right. Basically. And it makes it basically what it's doing is it's making it available. And they get kind of a, a nodule on their on their roots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then there – and what most people get is a general pea and bean inoculant. You know, say at your local nursery, you you know, it'll be hanging there by your pea and bean seeds. Okay. I guess it's a little added insurance. And I have – I know, know plenty of people over the year who just don't – they're not going to use it. They just don't feel it's a necessary thing, so they don't. All right. So I don't think it's anything that you absolutely have to do. And that was going to be one of my questions for you. Was it or is it possible for the the home gardener or the person at their home to actually inoculate their own seeds? But obviously, based on what you're saying, it is. Oh, yeah. 
Uh-huh. Yep, and you can you can ask for it um at you know wherever you're buying your seeds. Um most places have it. Some people some places don't carry it. And usually you you know I buy enough usually to inoculate my peas and my beans for just for a year. Okay. And when you say to yeah, inoc- very easy to use. Okay. When you say to inoculate them just for a year, do you mean the inoculation itself will only last for a year or a year's worth of seeds? Which yeah, are- it's you. It's usually um, you use it in one growing season. Okay. It usually has a date, and they say use it this year. All eventually. Right. So the jury's out. It's not necessary according to a lot of people, but you use it in certain cases where you think there's an added benefit to it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Perfect. Now, I wanted to ask you another question about collecting your own seeds off of heirloom plants at your home. If you do that, okay. how long will those seeds be viable for future plantings? Well, they can last, you know, up to four or five years if you store them just cool and dry. And the main thing with seed saving is that you let them dry properly. You don't want to store them, and it's it's one tricky thing for homeowners, especially in parts of the country that have more humidity in the air, is you want to make sure that they're dry enough that they're not going to rot when you store them. Okay. If the, if the moisture inside the seed is too great, then they will rot. Okay. So it's it's best to err on the side of caution and let them dry really well before you store them. Okay. And now here's another term I'd like for you to define for us. What is an archive quality storage seed? Okay, that is um we do storage seeds here at Mountain Valley and essentially they are sealed in a certain way. What we use is we use a triple layer poly bag, basically. They are the seeds are dried down to optimum moisture content for storage. Okay. And so usually that is a little different process from just a regular seed that you're gonna use right away. And and it- that's basically what makes it store over time well. And then your seeds are usually then stored inside inside these bags and then inside another container. Okay. So then I guess the natural follow-up question is what is the purpose of an archive quality storage seed? Why would somebody want that? Most people have it just as safety and just, you know, in their food storage or in their basement. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of what people do with those. They hold on to them and then they replace them every 10 years or something like that. Okay. so Whatever th- they choose. These do. are kept aside for the circumstance when there's a food shortage or something like that and we're going to have to really rely on ourselves to grow more of our own food. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Very good. Well, I, I want to start asking some questions about once we get past, I guess, the purchase and the understanding of the seeds to how we're selecting which varieties to plant and, and what to do and how to make them successful. And one of the things you'll see when it comes to different varieties of seed written on the package or on the on the description somewhere is days to harvest. And so what are we talking about there? We are talking about how long it takes to get a pepper. 
in your hand ready to eat or a tomato or, you know, lettuce and things like that. They are that that can vary depending on when you like to pick it mm-hmm. for consumption. But that is mostly like, for instance, if you're growing long season heirlooms, heirloom tomatoes, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the ones that I grow are 90 days. So I know that those, they are late season tomatoes. My tomato season starts the end of August. Okay. And it's worth it for me to grow. A lot of people want early tomatoes, so they buy 65-day tomatoes, say, for instance, early girls or something like that. Mm-hmm. What it means is too, too literal harvest. And usually, you know, it's – I usually say it's 10 days on each side of that. Depending uh, So much of that depends on your weather and what's happening in your garden in a certain year. Okay. Now, when we say days to harvest, is this from the day that you put the seed in the soil, or is this from when you see it appearing above the soil? And if if you're working from transplants, it's usually from transplant. Okay. That's when I consider. Because up to transplant time, I mean, it can be... You know, it's seven to ten days for germination, say, and then, you know, eight weeks to planting out. And then, you know, I have 90 days, say, of doing tomatoes. Then I have 90 days to wait. Okay. That makes sense. So that 90-day number on a transplant tomato means Mm -hmm. when you transplant it into the ground, you've got 90 days to harvest. Right. Okay. So mm-hmm. now let's say, and I'm sorry to keep going back to corn. I'm very simple in my thinking here. I know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so well, that's corn is always a great example. All right. So let's say you you've picked out a corn seed and it says it's 100 days to harvest, and obviously mm-hmm. uh, you're going to plant that seed in the ground. That's not going to be a transplant on that corn plant. So is right. that that 100 days is from when the when the corn first appears above ground? Um, usually about that. Uh huh. Okay. And corn, if you are planting it at the correct time and the soil is warm, mm-hmm. it germin it can germinate very quickly. Okay. That so yeah. Excellent. Okay. That's a great segue to the next question I've got for you right after we take this final commercial break. There's a price you pay to get away to live outside the bounds. Is your dog's true nature shining through, along with a shiny coat, too? Find out by filling up your pet's bowl with Purina One True Instinct dog food, available at D&B Supply. Purina One True Instinct gets back to nature and back to basics. Inspired by your dog's gut instinct to naturally choose nutrient-dense food, the expert nutritionists at Purina One developed a recipe that puts pure protein front and center. The proof is printed right on the back of every True Instinct bag. First and foremost on the ingredient list, you'll find turkey, lamb, salmon, chicken, or other meaty treats. This protein-packed punch is paired with whole grains, vitamins, and antioxidants to provide complete and balanced nutrition for adult dogs. Let your dog's coat shine through by dishing out Purina One True Instinct Dog Food, available at your favorite D&B supply. They say legends aren't born, they're made. At Justin Boots, they're made to last, and that's why you can find this legendary Western footwear at D&B Supply. In 1879, Justin Boot Company mastered the craft of boot making. Then they spent the next century and a half perfecting it. 
Today, Justin boots are still a U.S.-made tradition and an icon of Western culture. You can see the character of Justin boots on the cowboys, cowgirls, horseback riders, and other folks who live and breathe the legacy of the West. Authentic, durable, and comfortable, Justin boots are made of only the finest leathers and materials. You can spot the quality of the craftsmanship down to each individual stitch. From working on the ranch to riding on the trails to Saturday night on the town, Justin boots are made for any occasion. Turns out authentic style makes a real impression, no matter what the venue. Fit for men, women, and kids alike. When you need to wear it well, Western style, stop on by D&B Supply for Justin boots. All right, Joe. So you brought it up, and that's, that's I'm smiling because that's the next question I've got on my list here. But how does soil temperature impact germination? Um, well, it it affects it in a lot of ways, and the the easiest way to think about it is dividing your vegetables into cool season and warm season vegetables. Cool season being greens, lettuce, spinach, kale, all those kinds of things, radishes, peas. These are things that can germinate and can take our lower temperatures. So they're the first things we put out in the spring. And then warm season, corn, any of your squash, tomatoes, peppers, um, oh, what else? Any Anything that needs the warm weather of summer for its main growing time. How this helps you is in thinking about when to plant things. Now I'm starting to watch the weather and how we're getting warmer. So the soil temperature is going up little bit by little bit you know, over the weeks now that we're getting farther into the year. Mm -hmm. What I'm looking for here in Salt Lake, for instance, our average last frost date is May 15th. Okay. And so I kind of use that as my starting point for planting my warm season out things outside. So normally after May 15th, I start looking at the weather and just trying to determine when I plant my corn. And one thing that I have followed over the years is a steady 50 degrees at night Mm -hmm. is good corn planting temperature. Excellent. Okay. Because that means that our soil is has gotten to a certain level where your corn will germinate and your cucumbers and your squashes, pumpkins, all those things will germinate quickly and not sit there in soil that is too cold. Okay, great. Now... With that said, if you if you happen to plant early, let's say you plant in soil that's too cold to germinate mm-hmm. uh, corn seed, uh, pumpkin seed, whatever that mm-hmm. may be, but you don't get a, mm-hmm. a frost that kills that seed, will it will it eventually germinate or will it not because you put it in soil that was too cool? Um, it can take a lot longer. Now, a lot of them can sit there for quite a while it depends kind of on the on the weather if it's sunny or if it's if it's say warmer but it's rainy mm-hmm. and the temperature of the soil is still cool so you kind of have to watch very carefully and see just what the what kind of weather you're having actually and it makes a difference now because for instance if especially in Salt Lake. Right now, no snow on the ground. Last night, it was about 40 degrees, so it didn't freeze. Mm -hmm. However, 
we're supposed to get very low temperatures again. We're supposed to drop into the 20s. And so at night. And so what that's going to do is that's going to keep, because we're, we're on, we've been cold for a while, that's going to keep our soil temperatures from rising Okay. for a little bit longer. So that's why I really start to watch now and see, are we going to have an early spring really? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to have this kind of nice weather and then we're going to turn back to winter for a while? Sure. So that's where you're watching the weather and watching the conditions in your garden makes a big difference. Well, it always seems to tease us this time of year. It makes you think spring is here and then all of a sudden, bam, winter's right back. Absolutely. Okay. So patience is always good at this time of year. Well, now I like your guideline of of the steady 50-degree temperatures, of knowing the last frost date in your region, of watching the weather, but certainly there are people out there who want to go even further than that in checking things. Is there a way for the home gardener, for the person who's growing a garden just for their own consumption to actually check the temperature of the soil and really get that technical? Absolutely. Soil thermometer. Okay. So you say that as though that, that's a I... very common thing, it sounds like. Well, um, if you really want to know, you buy a soil thermometer, you take it out, and you put it in your garden. Okay. so these And you see where you are. <laughs> so this is not a tool that's reserved just for the professionals, if you will. Anybody can obtain a soil thermometer and do this, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Same thing as taking a soil test. I mean, that it just depends on, you know, how much time you want to spend and how serious you are about growing. Well, that's a great thing you just brought up. So do you recommend a soil test for somebody who wants to build their own garden and and feed themselves in that way? I firmly believe in having a soil test, and here's why. All around the country, we have different kinds of soil made up of different material. We all have different pH, Mm -hmm. pH of our soil and our water. And so this affects how nutrients are available to the plants in your garden. And so it really helps to clarify things for you. Like my soil test usually comes up, the only thing I ever need to add is nitrogen. Okay. And so then from there, I can choose what kind of nitrogen I want to use. And so that, but that means I'm not adding um, a whole bunch of things that my plants don't need. Okay. Because to me, there's just really no point in that. And then that, but that is also a commitment to always adding and nourishing your soil, whether you're growing cover crops or adding compost or doing anything like that to make the health of your soil better. Okay. That's just using more of a natural system is all it is. Great. Well, now, there's a question that I had that I forgot to ask you about Days to Harvest. Do you mind if we jump back to that for a second? Not at all. Okay. Well, in certain cases, you were talking about the early tomatoes versus the 90-day tomatoes that you plant. So if mm-hmm. you go with mm-hmm. an earlier tomato, do you mm-hmm. sacrifice or give something up in terms of the quality of, of the tomato you're going to be receiving? Um, not necessarily. Um, I have found that people are, of course, very individual, and most people swear by early girls. 
They love them. They grow them every year. They always do really well. I don't think you sacrifice anything. I think they're just different. So it's just a matter of preference on when you want to be harvesting your tomatoes. Right. And it's it's the same thing, and I find this really across the board with vegetable varieties, is that people have favorites. And like, for instance, if they go grow peaches and cream corn and have always grown that, that's what they want to grow. That's what they love. Okay. And so that's what they buy. Got it. So it's just very individual. Okay. And along the lines of planting time for foreign areas, we've been talking about soil temperature and things like that. For a homeowner to figure mm-hmm. out, let's say somebody has just moved into the area, they've just moved into Twin Falls, Idaho, and they want to know when is the normal planting time for this area. The extension service is also, mm-hmm. that we talked about before, they're also going to be able to answer that question. Absolutely, yes. And local local people, local people that are gardening in the area is a great source of information. Okay. And people are, it's the wonderful thing about gardening is that it is, it's a very positive and uplifting way to spend your time for most people and they love to talk about it. Absolutely. So they will help you and share their knowledge. Right. It's a community, and there's a lot of cooperation in that community. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, let's talk about soil moisture. So we've talked all about temperature. So now we've figured out that it's time to plant. Uh, The soil temperature is at the right phase, and now we're going to go ahead and plant our seed. How much soil moisture should be present when we do that? Well, the, the goal with planting seed is to keep your soil moist, a consistent moist. And that is always tricky when you're putting seed in the garden because, as everyone knows, it's, seed is shallow, usually. Mm-hmm. It's not very deep. And the soil, when sun is beating on it, it heats up. So a lot of times that is a challenge. Um, most seeds are very forgiving. So you don't want to keep it super wet. You just want it moist enough to be consistent moisture for germination because seeds are, they can be, they're interesting. They're, they're very hardy, but they're also sensitive. So once they're germinated and small, they die easily without good consistent moisture. Okay. The goal is to be able to squeeze a handful of soil and when you open your hand, it falls apart. It's not dry, but it's not going to be glued together by having so much moisture in it. Okay. All right. And so that's kind of a good test of, of the right level of moisture for planting? Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Great. Well, you mentioned that most seeds are going to be planted at a shallow depth. So how does seed depth impact seed survivability? Smaller seed is shallower because basically it's smaller. Okay. It's the way it is. Corn seed is usually about an inch and a half, two inches deep. Mm-hmm. And lettuce seed, you know, really small seed, a quarter inch, an eighth of an inch. Mm-hmm. And then some seeds need light to germinate and you sow them on the surface of the soil. Okay. All right. Well, and when you're talking about the size of the seed, this is what I'm picturing. So you tell me if I'm right about this or not. But when we plant a seed that's not on the surface, 
then for in, in order for mm-hmm. it to germinate, it's all going to be based on temperature and moisture and genetics and whatever energy it has right. got saved up inside of it to be able to reach the surface. Am I right about that? Exactly. Okay. Yes. And so does does a bigger seed indicate that there's more saved energy for it to reach the surface? Is that why you plant deeper with a larger seed? Well, yeah, and that's that's pretty much just kind. That's just kind of a common sense thing. Mm-hmm. It takes a little bit more energy. The cotyledon is a little bigger. You just want to plant it a little bit deeper. Okay. And yeah, and so every seed has the energy for it to make it to cotyledon leaf stage, which is are the leaves before the first set of true leaves. Okay. And so then after that, that's where our nutrition and our good soil really come into play. Got it. Is once your seed is on the way to maturing. Okay. So that, into a full-grown plant. So that's the point at which the seed starts taking nutrients and energy from the environment and not just from what it has stored up? Exactly. Got it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, we've talked about soil moisture now. We've talked about time of year, temperature, depth. What about spacing between the plants? When you're planting, if you're going to plant a, plant a row of uh, watermelons or something like that, what about spacing? How do you determine how far to space them apart? Well, usually on most packages, it will give you an idea of how far apart to plant. Like, for instance, my tomatoes are very big, usually indeterminate. I grow some determinate, but I space them three feet apart. So that they have good air circulation, they're getting sun to every part of the plant, and I can work around them with ease. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Peppers, you know, 18 to 24 inches usually. It depends on the variety. Everything has basically a different amount of room it needs. Cucumbers that sprawl, they need a lot of room. Or Mm -hmm. you put them on a trellis and trellis them up. Okay. Um, bush beans, you can plant them closer and let them lean on each other. Peas, you can plant close and let them lean on each other. So there's there's more research to be done depending on what varieties you're going to be planting and what different types of vegetables and fruits that you want to grow, more than we can cover in the time allotted right. for our show. But uh, definitely each is an individual, and, and you need to research that to understand just exactly how crowded or uncrowded they need to be. Right, and that helps you plan your garden. That that way you can take your square footage and you can decide, you know, how much sun do I have? Mm-hmm. What is my soil like? What do I want to grow? What is my family going to eat? What is my favorite thing? What will they not eat? That will determine what you're going to grow and then what you can grow within your space. Okay. All right. And now I was going to ask you about fertilizer, but we kind of covered that earlier when we talked about the soil test. And for example, you only Mm -hmm. have to add nitrogen at your your particular place. What about when you're building Mm -hmm. your seed bed uh, using compost, potting soil and things like that? Is that necessary or just an added benefit? To your soil, that when you are adding any kind of organic matter, it helps a lot. And the thing that you can do is you can give them a boost of a liquid fertilizer if you like mm-hmm. once they're up. Like I like to give my um, greens a little bit of fish emulsion, which okay. works really great. 
So I think if you are starting with soil that you've worked on and you're working on it all the time, and I mean adding organic matter, before you know it, you'll have really nice, great soil. Wonderful. It's one of the best things you can do. It's one of the best uses of your time. In the <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So definitely want to be building that soil. And and you mentioned uh, growing in shade versus uh, full sun and things like that a moment ago. So if, you, if you're limited in where you can place your garden, and let's say you have a circumstance mm-hmm. where you only have full sun, there's no shade available, or the opposite of that, you only have a shady area and you're not going to have as much sun as you would like. So if you have something in mind that you would like to grow, but it says it needs full sun and you just can't provide that, should you try it anyway or should you follow the guidelines and, and alter what you're going to plant? Well, I think you need to alter what you're going to plant. In my experience, when I've talked to people who are having problems, one of the most common problems is they just don't have enough sun for vegetable production. Mm-hmm. So any amount under eight hours for vegetables, you're going to have you're going to have more problems. You're going to have less harvest. You're going to have much poorer luck having really good vegetables. Eight hours is really important for best production. Okay. And you can kind of gauge that based on just knowing your particular area and then tailor your garden to that. Right. And and watching how the sun moves across the sky in your garden. And a lot of people don't really think about that. Mm-hmm. But at this time of year, the the sun is low on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Now in June, on June 21st, it's straight overhead. Right. So it's something to keep in mind. When do I have sun? When is it going to drop off? Am I going to have sun for three months in the middle of the summer, and then I'm not going to have sun anymore? Those things are all really important, and that's just a matter of watching how the sun moves across your growing area. Okay. Now, you mentioned a moment— And what's in the way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you could lose some of that light midway through the day. Right. 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 Yes, absolutely. Now, you mentioned earlier growing or planting cucumbers, you could put up a trellis for them to climb. If you're planting something that will Mm -hmm. climb, do you recommend putting something there for them to climb? Does that help the plant, uh, the vegetable thrive, or is it just a matter of preference? Oh, it's a matter of preference, I think, in space. Okay. Um, Vertical gardening is big for people who don't have a lot of space, but then you need to watch how that affects your light, your sun. Mm Mm-hmm. If it's shading other plants. So that's where noticing how the sun moves across your growing area is helps you to plan it in a way that you can make the most of what you have. Okay. Now, for those people who would like to start seeds indoors first and then move them out and transplant later, when do you recommend that people start those seeds inside? I take a calendar and I say, okay, my last frost date is May 15th. That's the average last frost date. And then I usually add on a week after that because I'm always super busy in the spring. Okay. And then I say, take whatever it is you are going to grow. Eggplant, 10 weeks. Eggplant can be slower. So I count back from that point when I want to put things in the garden. Mm-hmm. So I get my calendar and I count back 10 weeks and I mark on there, this is when I need to start my eggplant. Got it. 
this is when I need to start my peppers, depending on how long it takes to a transplant stage. Okay. Tomatoes grow really fast. You can usually get away with starting tomatoes later. Peppers and eggplant take longer. And how do you determine how long it does take them to reach that transplant stage? Well, usually that information is kind of all over a seed starting book. Okay. Is a great place. Sometimes it, that information is on packages. After a while, you just kind of get to know, like, for instance, onions, onions and leeks. If you start those from seed, they are ones that can take the cooler weather outside. So, for instance, if you only have so much area to grow indoor seeds mm-hmm. or start your plants inside, you can start those things like onions and leeks early, and then they can they can grow on outside okay in their little containers how however you do it because they can take the cool weather and then you can transplant those out into the garden a little bit earlier and then your growing area can be taken up inside with the things that need warm weather tomatoes and peppers Mm -hmm. and eggplant and those kinds of things basil those kind of things joe this has been great this is always such an exciting time of year as we're getting ready to start planting gardens and, and, and move into spring and that growing season. It's a, it's a really fun time of year. And thank you so much for coming on and helping us all get excited and get ready for what's coming. Oh, you're very welcome. I hope everyone has a great growing year. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. <laughs>